You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. And friends, once again, good morning to you, uh, and welcome to our online worship service here this morning. Today, we are continuing a brand new sermon series that we started just a couple of short weeks ago, a sermon series you can see entitled Reform. Reform. You see, uh, one of the things that we know about Jesus' ministry is that when you go back and you read the Gospels, when you go back and see the different things that he did, yes, did Jesus heal? Absolutely. Did he forgive? Uh, Did he perform miracles? And on top of that, we also watch Jesus over and over again uh, taking on the task of reform. He's also on numerous occasions updating, uh, sort of revising obsolete and antiquated sort of ways in which we see ourselves, we see other people, we see God. Over and over again, you'll hear this sort of refrain from Jesus. Jesus will say something like this. He'll say, you have heard it said, or uh, how I like to put it, is Jesus is the person in my life who is constantly coming close to me saying, you've always believed this was true, but I say to you, I say to you something else. I want to show you something else. One of the things I love so much about Jesus is that Jesus is not the force, he's not the person in my life who sort of holds me back, but he's always the one who's pushing me, challenging me to expand and evolve my understanding, and the way in which I see myself and the world around me. And so uh, if you're just tuning into this uh, sermon series, if you missed the first couple of weeks, uh, we've already talked about a couple examples of this. Probably the, the most powerful example, probably the most glaring example where Jesus did some reforming work during his earthly ministry was Jesus challenged people like you, people like me, people who have some sort of spiritual life. He used to challenge people, say, make sure... That your faith, make sure that your, your, your sort of your spiritual practice, make sure that it's founded on gospel, not law. Now that's just fancy churchy talk for make sure that your faith is based not in rules, but in a relationship. We watch this all the time. Jesus all the time is challenging folks who seem more predisposed. They, seem, they, they, they think that what makes you right with God is if I just do all the right things and I don't do all the wrong things, then that, all the rules, all the laws, if I just do those things, that will make me right with God. When Jesus over and over again saying, no, 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 it's a relationship. Yes, it matters what you do. Yes, it matters to how you live. But it's all about how we cultivate and maintain a relationship, you and I, and you with others. We built off of this last week, and we moved on to also the way in which Jesus reforms how we read and interpret Scripture. You see, one of the things that Jesus pushes us and he challenges us to do is to make sure that we don't treat the Bible as an end in and of itself, but as a means to an end. Jesus in John chapter 5 is super clear that the Bible is not God. It is a roadway. It is a pathway to God. And so, Over and over again, Jesus says that the way in which you and I are to read and interpret Scripture is through him. That John chapter 1 says he is the word, the capital W word. And so he gets the final word on what's of God and what comes from God. Today we're going to continue this sermon series and we're going to look at another reform. We're going to look at another place uh, where Jesus tried to do some reforming of our faith and of our lives. And uh, 
for the record, the reason why we're doing this today, uh, the reason why we're taking on this conversation today here in 2022 is because if anyone who's watching or listening to this is paying any attention, you know that many of the reforms that Jesus came to perform didn't take. A lot of them, you come into a lot of churches today, you will still find a lot of versions and expressions of Christianity that tell you that how you get right with God, how what Jesus ultimately wants from you is just the rules. It's just the do's and the don'ts list. There's a lot of churches who preach that. There's a lot of churches you'll step into today who worship God sometimes over and against Jesus. And so, friends, one of the things that I'm finding as a pastor is that a lot of studies are coming out and they're showing that one of the reasons why uh, Generation Z and a lot of other populations, a lot of reasons why people are leaving the church today is because when they step into this place, they hear preached and they see a faith that doesn't match up with the Jesus that they fell in love with. And so the whole goal, the whole hope of this sermon series is to make sure, good gracious, I want to make sure for my own self that the faith that I practice each and every day, I want to make sure it actually lines up with who Jesus actually was and what Jesus actually wants from us. And so once again, another reform that we here in the church in 2022 need to pay attention to because it is one that Jesus tried to perform during the course of his earthly ministry not only dealt with the way in which we ought to engage our faith, uh, Jesus not only reformed the way in which we uh, sort of approach the scriptures and our, our religious sort of beliefs and customs, but Jesus also sought to reform the way in which we approach and engage one another. You heard in the scripture passage a couple of moments ago from Amanda that one of the big reforms that Jesus tried to bring was Jesus wanted to call us back to oneness. Jesus wanted to call all of his children, all of his followers, to unity with one another. Reason for which is because already in Jesus' day, there were sects and there were denominations beginning to form. The Essenes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those were sort of different tribes and denominations of Judaism that were already beginning to form. It's gotten uh, much worse here in 2022. Uh, you've heard me quote this before, that uh, most uh, groups find, uh, believe that there is somewhere upwards of 30,000 different denominations of Christianity today. On top of that, there are over 4,000 different organized religions today. In all of them, every single one of those persons is a child of God. Every single one of those people, Christian or not, is someone whom God loves, whom God is searching and seeking and pursuing after. And so what this seems to mean is that one of the reforms that Jesus came to bring is he came to sort of reform our imagination, say, that's great, you want to be a follower of me, you want to be a Christian, you want to be a follower of Jesus, that's great. One of the things that that means, one of the implications that means for your life is that you have to be someone in this deeply divided, this deeply torn apart world, you have to be, Matthew chapter 5, a peacemaker. You want to be one of my disciples, you have to be someone who is constantly, intentionally, and willfully mending and seeking to build bridges and create unity where and when it is possible. And so here in John chapter 17, we're going to get a glimpse as to what Jesus meant by that. So let's go ahead and return back to our scripture passage for today. So if you have uh, your uh, Bibles handy or if you have a smart device handy, go ahead and uh, pull up and have John 17 handy. Uh, quite frankly, on this Martin Luther King Sunday, I can't think of a better topic. I can't think of a better theme for us to be celebrating and to be talking about and really digging into today. This call Jesus places upon our lives to be bridge builders and peacemakers in the world. 
to give you a little context of what's going on here in John chapter 17 is uh, it's at the end. So John chapter 17, this, in this particular gospel of Jesus' life, we're reaching the end of Jesus' life. We're reaching the end of Jesus' ministry. Plots have already been set in motion to have Jesus uh, killed. Plots have already been uh, set in motion to have Jesus betrayed. Jesus knows all of this. He knows he's reaching the end of his earthly ministry. And so here in John chapter 17, as a sort of uh, one final act, uh, one final big moment of public ministry for the people, his followers, his audience, what he does is he offers a prayer. That's what John chapter 17 is. It's a prayer. Uh, it's a public prayer. God's praying to the Father, but in the presence of a bunch of other followers with him. And what I love so much about John chapter 17 is it's really, really cool. This is a moment where Jesus is one of the uh, few moments where Jesus prays not only for his immediate audience, but his future audience as well. So go back to John chapter 17. You see in verse 20, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Simply put, here in this moment, Jesus was praying for you. He was praying for me. For you Marvel fans out there, this has like sort of like a Doctor Strange multiverse sort of moment to it, right? Jesus is doing something. It's one of these really cool moments where Jesus is doing something that will have both immediate and sort of far-reaching impacts into all universe, all realms, all people. Love it. And during which, uh, during this prayer, Jesus makes a very specific request. So during this prayer, he's talking to the Father. He makes a very, very specific request of God. He says to God, he says, God, uh, I pray not only for these disciples and all who ever believe in me, but here in verse 21, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus is praying on behalf of his followers that they would learn, they would figure out, they would find a way, they would find a renewed energy to fight, to be one again. Now notice here, Jesus doesn't say, I pray that they will all be the same. Jesus doesn't say, Jesus is smarter than that. Like, he knows, he knows human tendencies. Jesus is smarter than that. He knows not to pray that we will always agree on everything, that we will be the same, that we will be uniform. That's not what Jesus says. And if you've heard my preaching before, you've heard me sort of belabor this point, that there's a really, really big difference between fighting for oneness and fighting for sameness. You see, friends, if you are someone who's out in the world fighting and working and advocating for sameness, actually what you're doing, the only thing you're interested in is having conversations and Facebook debates and the way in which you talk to your children, the way you talk to your friends, your coworkers. The only goal you have is to make them more like you. It's to change them. They are the problem. The differences between you and them, the only solution is they have to change and adopt and assimilate to you, right? Anybody listening to this, you know people like this. You have people like this in your life. The way I like to say it is I think this is actually one form of something we might call spiritual insecurity. You know what I mean by that? That sometimes uh, you'll run into people uh, and you'll even encounter it in yourself where you have beliefs about the world and you need the validation of other people to make it certain. You need other people to be on your team to feel better about what it is you believe. So it's sort of like a, a form of spiritual insecurity because 
when you compare sameness with oneness, oneness actually doesn't need other people. It's firm. It's confident in what it believes to be true about themselves, about other people, about God. It knows what it, it, that person knows what they believe and who they believe in. And so they don't need other people to always conform to their perspective in order to coexist. They can sort of stand on an island. They can stand by themselves. They can stand on their own two feet and stand on their own beliefs. Because, friends, and why that's so needed, why that's so powerful is because the moment you can start doing that, then you can actually start being curious. You can actually seek understanding from other people's perspectives and viewpoints. You can't do that if you're constantly engaging every conversation with an objective to change them rather than to listen to them, to better understand them. And so, again, you go back to this whole sermon series, friends, the whole reason why we're having this conversation on oneness, sameness, division, unity, is because, once again, this is one of the reforms that did not take. I read a stat uh, earlier this week that found that 80% of Americans agree on something. Can you believe that? 80% of Americans agree on something. 80% of Americans uh, agree that we're the most divided we've ever been. (laughs) And it's sad. I, I started thinking about it earlier this week. I couldn't think of many people in my life. I couldn't think of many people on the world stage who are actually working and striving for unity. Oneness, harmony, peacemaking. I see a lot of people, you do too, you see them on the news all the time, people who are working for divisiveness and they're sort of uh, tearing things apart. They don't care what anyone else thinks. They're going to preach what they think and they don't care if it sort of continues to further the, the sort of fissure between us. And I know even more people who just aren't even trying. You look around the world today, you, you see what's going on in the news, you look on your news feed and you're like, oh my gosh, This is just way too difficult to try to perform empathy or understanding to seek unity with this person or this people group. And so we just don't even try all together. But the problem uh, with passively engaging the work of unity and peacemaking is that when you don't actively engage it, when you sort of passively go about it, the natural way in which you and I drift is more and more into our sort of own homogenous, uniform sameness. We just sort of passively, not aggressively, we passively sort of move into our own tribes, our own groups, right? Now, to be super fair about something, Super fair about something. Some of the relationships that you're thinking of right now, some of the relationships that you have in your own life with individuals or with communities of people, some of which unity is not possible. Okay, let's just be super frank about that. Let's just be super real about that. Unity is not possible. Too much harm has been done. Too much pain has uh, gone by. Too much dysfunction and toxicity has been present. You're just too far apart. And so there's actually some moments or some places in our lives where we are able to sort of reach the end of what we can do and say to Jesus, Jesus, I know you've called us to be one. I know you've called us to be one family, but I need you to be the one. I've reached the end of what I can do, and so we need you, Jesus, to now do that reconciling work, making room for the strong possibility that maybe, just maybe, that won't take place in this life. It may have to take place in the next one, right? And friends, there's... There's biblical backing for this. Again, the great commandment says this. Yes, you are to love, the na- love your neighbor, but you are called to love your neighbor as yourself, that you are in that equation. As the great theologian Karamo uh, from Queer Eye says, on the list of all of the people that you and I are called to love is your name. 
Can I get a Yaz Queen? Yes, Queen. Amen. And so sometimes it's just not possible. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes there are some relationships, some relationships with communities or groups that you can't reconcile with. You don't have the tools. We don't have the time. And so Jesus will have to be the one who does that in this life or in the one to come. But today what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time focusing more of our energy on the places where it is possible. The relationships where it might be tough, like it might require something of you, like it may not be easy, but the relationships with an individual, a family member, a friend, a spouse, or again, a group of people uh, who is different from you, where unity, where, where peacemaking, where oneness is still possible. And so some of you are listening to this, like, that's great, okay, I'm open to it, but I don't even know where to start. And if you don't know where to start, that's fine, because we're going to sort of break this down a little bit. And where we're going to begin is actually sort of taking a look at where, what and where are the forces that are tearing us apart, that are pulling us apart. The first of which uh, is this. So this is not going to be a shock or a surprise to any of you. Uh, But one of the causes of division, one of the most uh, obvious examples of division in our country, in our world today, is uh, separating, uh, sort of disunifying yourself, dividing yourself from someone because you and them possess different beliefs. You have fundamentally different beliefs. And so maybe we're talking about political beliefs. Or maybe we're talking about you, you, you both consider yourselves Christian, but you're different versions of Christian. Uh, so uh, in my world, that looks like uh, some people get categorized as evangelical conservative Christians. Some people get categorized as progressive or liberal Christians. And so uh, we have differences there. Or maybe for you, maybe the people you're thinking about in your life right now are people who belong to an entirely different faith altogether or to no faith at all. And what's interesting is we were almost hardwired. I don't even know if anyone ever told me to do this, but we were almost hardwired, almost been culturally trained and conditioned to keep every single person who has different beliefs than we do at sort of arm's length, right? We run into them, we learn over sort of like a, a co, a, or, a, or this is a coworker, we overhear that they believe something different from us, and we go, oh, hmm, I don't know if I can be friends with them anymore, hmm. And what's fascinating is if you actually take the time to, we should diagnose. I don't know if you've ever done this, but we should stop and sort of think through, where did this come from? Like, let's do some diagnostic work. Like, how did this happen? Why is that our first instinct to sort of react to people like that who possess slightly or major different beliefs than we do? Why is that our immediate reaction? And I'll go first because I did some diagnostic work on myself to sort of think through why is it that there's some groups of people in this world that I'm immediately turned off to. I don't have to hear anything else about them. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be connected to them. And again, I'm sort of confessing this. This is not right or good or Christ-like, but I have sort of did the digging of why is it that that's my immediate gut level reaction. Here's what I found. What I found is that sometimes when I encounter people who have different beliefs than me, Why I don't have any desire to work for unity or connection with them is because I don't want to be associated with them. I don't want to be associated with that particular belief, that particular thing that they stand for, that particular thing that they are preaching. Richard Rohr, a Catholic theologian, says this. He says, one of the things that your ego does is your ego is the quiet voice inside of you that always tells you that you are superior and separate from everyone else. Eesh. But friends, 
Every time I believe that, every time I believe that little voice inside of my head, I'm making a really, really, really big mistake. I'm making a really big mistake. I'm making the mistake of seeing people and, and, and judging people, categorizing people, defining people, their entire existence and being as a human person. I'm, I'm sort of defining and understanding and defi- every bit of who they are based off of the tiniest sliver of what I actually got a glimpse of. So it looks like this. I'm a visual person. When we see people, when we encounter someone who has different beliefs than we do, we see this. We see what's in the blue. Right, So you're on social media, you overhear a conversation when you're at work, or you interact with a family member at Thanksgiving or what have you. You hear, you see the blue. And if we're not careful, what we do in that moment is we walk away from that conversation and we think it's all blue. We say, oh, well, that obviously means that this person is this, and they are that, and they're awful, and they're evil, and what have you. We don't get to see any of the other things present in their lives. We don't see how they love their children. We don't see how kind they were to a stranger a couple days prior to that. We don't see how generous they are with their finances. We don't see any of that stuff. We don't see the rest of their life and their existence. And yet we define their entire existence based off of that tiny sliver of the pie that we got access to during a four-minute conversation. So... So many of you know this. A couple weeks ago, my family and I went on a trip. And I'll give you a prime example. During the course of this trip, I kept running into this guy. This guy who uh, was always wearing these super inflammatory and explicit T-shirts. You know people like this? Like, I don't know where they get them. Maybe online somewhere. So they're just, like, super offensive. They're meant to rub you the wrong way. Like, that's his goal. That's his aim. That's his MO. And so, like... I run into him for the first couple days of the trip, and I just, like, I'm like, Ugh, and I'm, like, trying to avoid him and that sort of thing. And about midway through the trip, midway through the trip, uh, we're actually, we're going on a sort of, like, a little excursion, and he's actually sitting right in front of me. Awesome. And what I notice is we're going on this trip, and so we're on this, like, open-air van, and we're traveling through, and his daughter starts getting motion sick. Uh, my daughter uh, actually gets motion sickness as well. So, like, I'm watching this transpire, and I'm, I'm gaining empathy. I'm, like, feeling this connection. And I watch this man tend to his daughter. He demonstrates unbelievably, unbelievable compassion, unbelievable love, unbelievable patience, right? You can't go anywhere. You're, like, you're stuck in this van. Your daughter's about to hurl. And he's being so unbelievably gracious, And in that moment, I felt Jesus sort of whisper into my ear, I'm here too. That there's more here than what you see, what you were judging, what you were defining this person as. This, this um, phrase has become a mantra for me. It's become a mantra for me. Whenever I encounter people who, I'm not talking about people who you know very, very well. You, you've had a, a glimpse to a lot more of their pie. I'm talking about the people who you saw just a tiny sliver of who they are, and you made a huge judgment upon them because it rubs you the wrong way. The mantra I started practicing is I started saying, there's more. There's more that I, that I can't see, that I will never know, that I, I, I don't understand. Friends, one of the things that we fall into, this trap, whenever we encounter people of different beliefs than we do, is sort of seeing them as a single issue, a single thing they said, a single thing they did, 
And why I refuse to do that with my life is because I hope and pray to God that other people don't do the same for me. When they caught me on a bad day, when they saw me say something, or where they saw me sort of acting in a sort of not-so-Christ-like way, I hope and pray that other people look at me and say, oh, there's more to this Kyle than the one I just ran into at the grocery line, right? There's more. There's also another example of this. There's another example of this. So in addition to um, the, the forces sort of at work in our lives that tear us apart on the basis of belief, there's another force at work uh, that's uh, causing division, that's causing rifts, that's causing fissures, and it comes not just from differences of beliefs, but differences of lifestyles. Lifestyles. That there's also people in your life, and now you're thinking of a whole batch of new people who... Again, you've been sort of culturally trained, you've been culturally and sociologically conditioned to sort of keep them at arm's length, not really seek a relationship with them because their lifestyle is just so very different than yours. Maybe it's, it's a cultural difference, right? Or maybe it's just everyday practices. They, they parent differently than you. They engage dating way differently than you do. Or they engage um, relationships or a diet or exercise, or they've engaged COVID in this pandemic slightly differently than you do, right? And what can be tempting in these moments, what can be tempting uh, is to sort of see those places as sort of automatic, sort of uh, immediate and impulsive and reactionary uh, causes and excuses for disunity. I don't need to be with them. I don't need to be connected with them. They aren't me. We aren't one of them. And what, what makes it harder is I think that um, some people, when you encounter them and they have differences of you know, lifestyle, they do different things than you do, they live differently than you do, some do it quietly, right? Some do it quietly, some do it humbly, they sort of keep to themselves, they do their own thing, it's fine. But every single one of us also, where this gets difficult, where this is really challenging, is every single one of us also has that did you know friend. You know what I'm talking about? The did you know friend, this is the friend who makes it their sort of, uh, their, their single goal and purpose in life to always share with you all of the new discoveries and new things that they're learning, that they're trying to do to make themselves a better person. And by sharing it with you, they're thinking sort of passive aggressively, you should do these things too because we've seen them not do those sort of things, right? They share them as sort of like direct message or they text these to you. Every sing- so let's just give you an example. Every single parent who's listening to this uh, we all have that friend, or maybe it's a family member, or it's a sibling who always sends you like little loving, loving uh, sort of messages or direct messages, or they share uh, Instagram pages with you that sort of say like, well, this is how important it is that you do meal prep for your children every single day of the week and never feed them anything processed. And you're just sort of, you get, you feel judged, you feel condemned by it, and then you go to Target and you watch their child have a meltdown. And let's be honest, God, it feels so good. Does it not? It feels so good. There's like a quiet sort of fist pump situation that happens because you're like, yes, finally, you're not perfect. I'm not, none of us are perfect. It's fine, right? And so often when we encounter people who present different lifestyles than we do, they behave and they act differently out in the world than we do, uh, it is immediate sort of impulse to sort of divide and sort of separate ourselves from them. And to be frank, sometimes it's because it's, it's just annoying, Right? So, like, I'm going to speak to those, oh, the did you know people out there. Listen, listen, we love you. God loves you. I love you. But I'm a huge fan of cheese. Okay? Everyone who goes to this church, they know this. I'm a huge fan of cheese. Some people, some people like to eat Velveeta cheese without the information, without the knowledge or the awareness that it's actually one ingredient away from being plastic. Okay? 
Some people just don't want to know that. Like we don't, I don't want that information when I'm crushing some Velveeta cheese at a party. Like I don't want that information running through my brain. Someone tried to send me the other day, they saw that I drink a lot of Coke Zero and they sent me a little article that said, here's all the chemicals, deleted it. I don't want to know that. Like I don't want that information in my life. In Jesus' name, out. I don't want it. And those are silly examples, right? Those are silly examples. Those are, you know, sort of everyday mundane examples. But again, I took this seriously, and I did this sort of diagnostic work on myself. I sort of, during that sort of digging on myself, I said, why is it that, like, when I encounter people who live so very differently than me, they have such different habits and patterns to their life, why is my immediate impulse to sort of, like, distance myself from them? And here's what I found. It's because there's some groups of people, there's some uh, people in my life who they're doing something, they're living in a way that is challenging a particular area of my life that I'm too afraid to confront. Yeah. If I'm being really honest, sometimes uh, the reason why I resist relationship and unity and connection and oneness with those folks is because I know if I let them, if I let them in closer, they would challenge an area of my life that I'm too afraid to confront. Maybe it's a belief, maybe it's an assumption, maybe it's a behavior that I don't want to deal with even if it's doing harm to myself and other people. And again, friends, when we live that way, when we fall into that trap, we're making a really, really big mistake. We're making a really huge mistake. We're believing the lie that it's possible to live a life in isolation. We're believing the lie that it's possible to live on your own, by yourself, without any input or help or assistance from the outside world. Thomas Merton, another uh, sort of 20th century uh, contemplative monastic theologian, he used to say this, he used to say, no human being is an island, and to try to do and be so is to pretty much guarantee your own demise. No one's an island. You want to know why? Uh, Jesus has two uh, predominant metaphors. He uses the metaphors over and over again when he talks about the way in which you and I ought to relate to one another. He uses the analogy of the body. So you know this, the body of Christ. He talks about the body all the time. And he says, when it comes to your relationship with others, other believers, other people, other human beings, uh, he also uses the analogy of a tree. John chapter 15. And I think there was actually a really specific reason as to why Jesus did this. You want to know what's similar between a human body and a tree. It's that if a limb decides to sever itself from the rest of the group, it can't survive. Eventually it withers up and it dies. It can't sustain itself all by itself. I'll close here. I'll close here. Friends, um, I think one of the things, one of the biggest reasons um, why, one of the biggest mistakes I think we make, rather, whenever we don't see any value or any need to work for unity and oneness with other people, one of the biggest, biggest mistakes that we make is that if God ever had that attitude to, towards you, we'd be doomed. We'd be goners. 
earlier this week, again, I was sort of like an introspective mood. I'm not sure why, but um, I read through a, a bunch of my old journals. So I used to journal every day. It was a part of my spiritual practice. I used to journal and just talk to God and sort of talk about my day, talk about the things that I was struggling with, the things that I was sort of working through, the things that I believed. And it's kind of like listening to yourself or watching yourself back. It's always super cringe, right? So I was reading this, and I'm reading the types of things that I said to God, the things that I believed about God. And I was like, oh, my sweet Lord, Jesus, you stayed in relationship with me during this time? Like, you still walked with me when I said those things and thought those things and did those things? Like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> right? Why? It's because God understands. God understands that the only way people change is not by abandonment, but it's by patience and grace. That's how I changed. That's how anybody changes. You change by way of having people in your life who stick by you, stick with you, even when you have not fully become the best version of yourself. There's a particular scripture that always reminds me of this. It's Ephesians chapter 4, which I think is the perfect parting note for us today. Paul writes this. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Here's the key phrase. Bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Again, there are some places... There are some relationships you have with communities, groups of people, particular individuals where you've tried this, you worked for this. It is no longer possible. You now need God to intervene. However, as we close our time together, I think there are also, in addition, I think there are also people, groups, where you haven't done that yet. You haven't done the work yet. You haven't fulfilled the Christ-like obligation to bear with one another and work for at work, give every effort to unity and peace in the Spirit. Maybe for you, it's in your marriage. Maybe you're listening to this and it's it's you feel a deep division with a person to whom you are married to. Maybe it's a relationship with a family member, or maybe it's a coworker or a boss. Maybe again, it's on a sort of uh, communal scale. Maybe there's a group of people, it's a different political party or a different religious group that you've always casted off. You've never made any attempts to learn or understand or make unity with them. Maybe it's them, right? Because, friends, you just never know. You just never know. In the same way God sent people into your life to stick by you through all of your mistakes and all of your crud and all of your imperfections, and that resulted in your transformation, maybe, just maybe, God has plans to do the same through you and the lives of someone else. You just never know. Let's pray. 
Jesus, it seems appropriate that the very first thing we ought to do uh, here today is uh, thank you for all the times, all the places, all the moments where you stuck by us when it was probably not easy to do so. When it required an incredible amount of patience from you, understanding and empathy from you, grace because we were doing things, acting in ways, believing things that were just so contrary. They were in direct opposition to who you are. But over and over again, you refused the temptation to forsake us, to cut ties with us, to abandon us. And in so doing, you saved us. Now, Jesus, uh, we're not you. Uh, we feel like that's just sort of disclaimer. We need to sort of say that out loud. We're not you. We don't possess the same level of patience that you do. We don't possess the same sort of amount of grace in our hearts and lives that you do. But I think we got more than we give ourselves credit for. We got more in the tank than we think. And so, Jesus, I pray for your sake for the sake of your deeply divided and wounded world, help us to dig in, help us to tap into the grace that you have given to us, the, the commitment to unity and oneness that you have demonstrated toward us. Help us to tap into that so as to be a force for it in your world and in the lives of your children who desperately need it. God, we commit ourselves to you this day to be used to that end. Let your will be done. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.